The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Good morning. You have money in your life, a weekly show about the influence of money in your life. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. And the median household income in the United States is still 6 or 7% below where it was at the start of the recession in 2007. There's a little bit of contention, but it's definitely 6 to 7%. To make the situation doubly difficult, during that same time period, the consumer price index has continued to increase. That means the average household has been squeezed between decreased income and increased costs. Yeah. It's pretty stunning, Brian, and you know, it's led to really interesting developments like Groupon and lots of sailing blogs, I mean, sailing blogs, savings blogs, and some really inexpensive, and some would say disposable, clothing options, <laughs> you know, as well as lots of bad advice on how to make a lot of money fast, and not surprisingly, a significant increase in the sale of lottery tickets. Yep, yep. All of those are tied into this. Our guest today is Brian O'Connor, who with his family took on this challenge of the financial squeeze. He shares the results in his book, The $1,000 Challenge, a highly readable and very practical guide we can all use to fine-tune our finances. Brian is the personal finance editor and syndicated funny money columnist at the Detroit News. Hello, Brian. Welcome to Money in Your Life. Yeah, hey, Brian. Hi, Ann. Thanks for having me on today. Welcome. You bet. Well, it has been a pleasure to read your book. I, uh, Ann and I have talked about it a number of times. You bring the ingredient of humor to the topic of personal finances, and it is sorely needed. Humor is the uh, – the, the, it's almost like the lubrication that can help people work through these issues. Is, I, I do. I think that you know, whatever you do, no matter how much you have or don't have, you're, you're always going to have bills, and you just need to sort of uh, uh, try not to take things uh, uh, too seriously. Uh, or, or you know, even if you're in a, a dire situation, uh, you can always make choices, and and having a sense of humor uh, about it tends to keep things in perspective. Yeah. I know your column is called Funny Money, and in your book, you refer to your wife. You say your wife is a rather shy person. You leave her unnamed, but you call her Mrs. Funny Money. So I'm guessing that in your house that humor is part of the uh, what, what, what helped you succeed in this $1,000 challenge. Yeah, well, the, the humor was just also a matter of I've, I've been a personal finance 
uh, a writer or business editor for about 30 years. And, you know, when I got this column at the Detroit News, I just could not write another dry technical column about the, you know, tax implications of mutual funds held outside of tax-deferred retirement accounts, because uh, nobody needs to read that again. And uh, and the only other, you know, uh, approach that you find out there is is people who are either telling you something blatantly obvious or these kind of, uh, I call them uh, money nannies or, or the latte police, who are just kind of always scolding you about, you know, what a slacker, loser, spendthrift you are. Um, so... Uh, I've kind of always been a bit of a smart aleck, so I just kind of went with my strength. <laughs> it was a natural, it was a natural approach to the subject. Eh? Yeah, and I, and I'll tell you, if you're gonna, and the only way to do that is is to sort of mine your own existence for, um, you know, for sometimes the very ridiculous things that we all do with money, and if you're going to be a, a married person who writes about his uh, family in a newspaper column. If you start using their real names, you probably won't be married or have a newspaper column for very long. So. <laughs> that's exactly right. So that's, that's the exactly way you right. have to work with it. So tell us, Brian, how did the uh, the $1,000 challenge, I love the subtitle, of how one family slashed its budget without moving under a bridge or living on government cheese. Tell us how the $1,000 challenge came into being, if you would. Well, it started in, in sort of the depths of the Great Recess Oppression here. Uh, you know, Detroit was kind of ground zero. Uh, yeah. Michigan had been already in a one-state recession since really 2000. Uh, it never really pulled out of the um, the downturn after the tech bubble and the uh, attacks of 9-11. So, uh, so naturally, when we went into the, to the Great Recession, you know, that sent the automakers over the edge and uh, the state was already in trouble, and mm-hmm. you know I was doing the personal finance column, and I thought, you know, I just don't think with 14% unemployment, people really need to read a story about which credit card is going to give them the most frequent flyer miles. Right. Um, right. Mom or dad was going to work in the morning, and they were coming home at night unemployed uh, through no fault of their own, um, but through the fault of a bunch of hedge fund sharpies on Wall Street. Uh, and the you know and people were taking six months to two years to find jobs and the jobs yeah. you know even people now they point to the bounce back of the auto industry but they forget that those people are making uh, who are being hired now are making half of what um, uh, what uh, unionized laborers were making right before. Right. All, of, all across the country, this is the same thing that's happening, that the income has not come all the way back. Right, right. So these guys are making 14 an hour when they used to make, and no pension, when they used to make $28 an hour with great uh, benefits. Right. Um, your health care costs have gone up if you haven't taken a pay cut in inflation. So, you know, it really became a thing of if you were in these dire straits, um, you know, the only thing that you can do is try and stretch your cash as far as it as far as it goes and my thought was how much can you know can a middle class family really do uh and uh so I did 10 columns I took the 10 top spending categories uh from our family uh you know transportation housing food and top so meaning forth. the ones that you spent the most money in the 10 categories right, the 10 where you biggest. were spending the most money yeah the ten biggest, although I wasn't really doing a great job of tracking all our spending. 
um, it's pretty obvious usually what your 10 biggest are. And mm-hmm. I aim to cut 100 bucks out of each one in a column a week for 10 weeks with the idea of saying, you know, could you cut $1,000 worth of, cent, of spending? You know, because that was a good headline number. And at the beginning, I wasn't really sure that I would do it or, or not. Mm-hmm. So, Whether and, you would and, be successful? Oh, yeah. You know, it was, yeah. I would come in Monday and I would you know, start going through all the options and, you know, hope that I could find it by, uh, by Thursday night. Um, in, in fact, the first, in, the first column that I did was on our, our transportation costs. And I think I only squeezed out about $40 in savings. So, so right from the get-go, it kind of, uh, it was kind of a high wire act. Uh, and my, you know, I was like, uh, well, you know, this just shows how tough it is. And my editors, editors were like, right, but you are going to save the thousand bucks, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, like now well, you've turned you've turned a business column into something akin to the sports page. There's a goal right, here that was, you have to achieve. It was something more like you know, uh, like one of these reality shows where uh, I better save the thousand bucks or I'll get voted off the island. You know. <laughs> And and you ultimately did. You know, um, my question, Brian, is how uh, you were working at this uh, full time, right? So you were going through your expenses uh, pretty pretty full time when you were doing it, right? Well, you know, I was doing. I mean, I do have other responsibilities at the yeah. paper other than writing just one column a week. Um, you know, but I did have some some time to put into it. Um, and and partly because uh, it, when you're writing an advice column, you've really got to got to look at a wide swath of options. Right. Uh, it wasn't just um, what I can do, but it was like, what can other people get away from this? Um, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of time, um, I think one of the things that I discovered in this was that um, was that a lot of my biggest savings came in categories where I didn't have to spend a lot of time. It was easier than I thought. Um, and it was also, uh, um, it was also easier to sustain because you basically come down to two categories of, of savings is stuff that you can do once and, uh, and you're, you're done and other stuff that requires more of a lifestyle, uh, adjustment or some kind of ongoing discipline. So, for instance, I think some of the biggest savings they got was things like Internet access, cable bill, cell phone bill, phone plans, all that kind of of stuff. Um, And that was, I think, about three phone calls, um, the kind of thing that you could do on a Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then it was done. I was saving like $140 a month, and I've been saving that since then forever. Plus, I got like another $600 in uh, temporary discounts or rebates, which included a $200 gift card uh, right before Christmas that year. So -hmm. that was great. And you're you're sort of, it's sort of all your one and done kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other things that you're saving are things like your entertainment spending, your personal spending, your grocery spending. That stuff is going to be you know, a new decision every time. And so you sort of have to find a way to um, um, set up a structure uh, where it's going to be a little more disciplined and uh, and contained so that you don't have to sort of make this 
you know, complicated, get out the checkbook, start the spreadsheet, can we afford to go to the movies, uh, yeah. uh, kind of decision every time that you want mm-hmm. to uh, to do something. Mm-hmm. So well, for one people of the things, who are, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, one of the things that I was really struck by that, that is so great about your book is that you encourage people, it, the way that you set it up, you encourage people to basically set a framework for those kinds of things. And so you you go into the store and then you make choices. You know basically what your framework is, and within that you begin to make choices. Right, right, because if, the, if you make it complicated and difficult – and, and what's interesting is I've seen a lot of stuff in the last year, you know, it talks about, you know, willpower being a finite right. resource, you know. And so um, the more you use it, the more you kind of deplete it. So yeah, if right. you're, you know, if you're really, you know, scrimping and, and scraping and every decision you make during the day is, you know, can I afford this? Can I afford that? How can I do yeah. that? You know, you're going to get to the point where you just kind of say, forget Screw. it. We're going yeah. to Vegas, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and you're yeah. going to do something big and dumb. Right. Um, whereas the um, the one and done, I mean, that was one of the, the great things. One of the budget experts that I interviewed talked about, you know, putting some of your, especially your discretionary spending on on a cash basis. Right. And it's mm-hmm. it's hugely easy. We do that for our entertainment our babysitters, because we have several babysitters, and um, uh, and our personal spending. And, you know, it's a benefit in a couple of ways. First off, it's actually, you know, more distressing to pay for something with cash yeah. than with almost anything. That's supported by the research. Yeah. So, you know, so there's a, just a reality of spending money. Uh, the other thing is that you have instant feedback. You look in your wallet or you look in the envelope and you go, oh, Uh-oh. well, yeah, we can afford the movie. No, we can't afford the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and and that gives you, again, that makes your decision-making a lot easier. Or you can say, well, um, I had a vacation day this week, so we didn't use the sitters on Thursday, so let's put that money into our entertainment envelope. And the other thing is, is that you don't have to worry about tracking all that stuff. Um, so, you know, every two weeks I just have one expense, which is to take that cash out X amount for entertainment, X amount for personal spending, X amount for sitters. And then it's done. I don't care where it goes. I don't know what it's spent on. I don't need to know. Um, if I make adjustments, I make adjustments between those three cash categories. And instead of having to, you know, go to my software or a website and go, okay, 350 at Starbucks and 6.49 at Subway, and you know, uh, two dollars for this magazine. So it complicates, it, it uncomplicates a lot of your, um, a lot of your budgeting and tracking, as well as giving you um, instant feedback as you go between the cycle uh, between paychecks. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and that that really is the beauty of it. The other thing that is so great about how you approach this is that you give you give people their own framework freeing up whether you're freeing up cash whether you're making ends meet or whether you're and I love this phrasing pinching pennies so that Lincoln gets a headache so that so that your readers can adjust this to their circumstances and they have flexibility and rewards cuz we all like rewards right 
Right. And the other thing is that you might be able to, um, you know, you might be able to say, I want to get really, you know, viciously aggressive in this one category. But this other thing is very important to me. So, for instance, I, I have a friend I write about in the book, um, and uh, she lives in South Florida where you basically live in your car. Uh, and she wanted a nice car, so she has a Lexus. But she decided, um, you know, so she wasn't going to cut her budget by driving, you know, a 12-year-old car like I do. Okay, fine. Um, but she offsets the price of that car by being incredibly aggressive on her grocery shopping. Um, so, you know, she offsets the one category that's important to her by being, you know, just as as aggressively frugal as, you know, somebody on a minimum wage job uh, when it comes to her grocery shopping, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with coupons and specials and stacking coupons. And, you know, she knows she's got it down to a science where she doesn't have to spend hours on it every week. Um, and she's actually offsetting her car payment with what she's cut out of her grocery bill. That is such a great, such a great example. I had a client who, when first of all, hated the word budget, and so we called it a, a fun plan, and was in the habit of going out for lunch. But she also liked to travel, and when we did up her fun plan, she said, "You know, I can, I can really." get my head around saving by not going by bringing my own lunch if i know that i'm saving for a trip to paris mm-hmm. that's exactly it you know one of the things is that you need to you know is that you need whatever you do if anybody's going to do this kind of thing you need to have a goal i mean if if you are saving enough for your retirement and an emergency fund, and all your bills are getting paid, and you're you're happy with your life. Well, then you don't need to do this, uh, um, you know. And so most people who are looking at their budget are looking at it because they have some kind of issue, right? They have a bill that they can't pay. Uh, the you know the visa balance is getting too big. Um, the kid needs to go to college. They're not putting enough away for retirement. So you know, start with a goal, then, you know, put an amount on it, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, uh, and then make your plan to to hit that amount. So you need, you know, uh, a friend of mine says that you need a dollar sign and a deadline. Right. And just just saving isn't isn't enough. You need to know how much, because again, to get back to that willpower thing, if you're saying we have to, we have to spend less, well, how do you know when you're done? Right. Or do you just Brian, constantly walk around with this attitude of, I can't afford to buy a stick of gum because then I can't retire? Exactly. And Brian, not- we need to we need to take a break just now, but this is re- this is great, and I want to bring it up on the other side of the break. But we'll be back in just a minute with our guest Brian O'Connor. If you'd like to join our conversation, please call us at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero or email us at moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr, and you have Money in Your Life. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host, Ann Hutchins, and our guest, Brian O'Connor. Today, we're talking about Brian's book, The $1,000 Challenge. That's the description of how he and his family cut $1,000 out of their family budget, and they did it um, with a lot of humor and a lot of success. Before the break, we were talking about a dollar sign and a deadline. Brian, you, you found that that was an important part for successful budget cutting. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Right. Well, you've, you've got some reason that you're, you're thinking about your money. Because if you had an unlimited amount and you were doing everything you wanted, uh, you wouldn't have to think about it. Sure. You know? Um, so, so, you know, focus on that thing. One mistake that people get is they want to make, oh, I've got I've to make a budget. And they think they've got to have some kind of ledger sheet or spreadsheet, and they start pulling out all the bills for the last year, and they're tracking down every penny like a... I say like a Kardashian looking for a new husband, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and then it turns the whole thing into, it's like a new year's resolution to lose weight where the guy goes out and he buys a $2,500 home gym and then he's hanging his laundry on it. You know, it's <laughs> exactly. like you've, you've, you've spent a lot of effort, but not on the thing that you need. So if it's like, basically we need to find, you know, $400 a month for the copay on the braces. Mm-hmm. Well, Great. Start finding your four hundred dollars a month, Um, you know, and then let that lead you into if if people get the book and they do the whole thousand dollar challenge, you know, by the time you're done, you're very close to having a pretty good basics of a family budget right there because you're you're tracking your spending. You're looking forward instead of backward. And you've already figured out what your top 10 expenses are. And by that point, you're getting down to things uh, which are probably not going to blow a huge hole 
uh, in your budget, and then you're free to go on and, and capture all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, you know, we're we're doing it right now over at AOL.com at the daily finance part of AOL uh, dailyfinance.com. We're doing the thousand dollar challenge. We're going to be starting the third week on Tuesday, and we've all got we got readers coming in saying, "Hey, we started with miscellaneous spending." And I said, just take out your bank statement, take out your credit card statement, and look for that stupid thing that's a recurring charge. I had an old email account when we moved to Detroit that I'd kept open so I could keep in contact with old freelance clients. Well, I was going to keep it open for a year. By the time I did this, I hadn't opened it in two and a half years, and it was $25 a month, and it was going on an automatic charge. Yeah. Yeah, those yeah, are, you know. those just rack up. And so, one that you had spoken about that earlier, the one that you'd called one and done, it strikes me that those are the that's the low hanging fruit in a family budget. Those are the things that you can take, as you said, a Saturday afternoon, sit down and look around and find out where is that fifty or a hundred or hundred fifty dollars a month that you really don't need to be spending. Right. And the other thing, in fact, we had one person on AOL. She looked at her. You don't even need to spend an afternoon take out one bill just take mm-hmm. out one bill when it comes mm-hmm. and go through it i had a 15 dollar voicemail third party voicemail thing stuck on my phone bill that got right. crammed on there by some kind of con artist mm-hmm. you know was i wasn't careful i was just looking at the mm-hmm. balance and paying it every month so um, so that's the other a... thing is that when you're looking at a monthly bill remember every dollar you save there is 12 dollars mm-hmm. so that $40 charge that this woman found for stamps.com where she'd started an account and forgot about it was almost $500 a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's, it's so a, easy when things are online and you pay them automatically to just look at the balance. So the advice is really good. Look at the look at the whole bill at least once. Right. And mm. it's spending that you can't miss because right. <laughs> you don't know it's there. Right. 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 I mean, that, exactly. that to me, that was really that was really embarrassing to write that and put that in the paper and be a, an alleged personal finance writer was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> well, on the on the other hand, it makes us all go, oh yeah, you know what? We've all done that. Oops. You, you know, you've got to admit, everybody is stupid with this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, people and that's get, why I say, people get know, busy. People... I mean, it's and it's not. It is not income specific. It's all across the income range. There are things that you just get busy and you don't look at and suddenly it's adding up and you can just cut it out. And and I think the other thing is that because of, like I say, because of all these sort of money nannies and the scolding and the latte police out there, there's this feeling that you know, if you're not perfect with your money, you're a bad person or you're, you know, and and so you know, if you are uh, uh, kind of pressed, you, you, you don't, you feel like this is going to be this huge can of worms, uh, and you don't want to get into it. And that's why I say, you know, don't beat yourself up by hauling out every bill from the last year. You know, I said, I always say, start now, start small and don't be perfect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's you know, good. Brian, I'm going to jump in here. There's an email from, uh, Caitlin in California. Uh, she says, as a newish couple, we are still figuring out the whole shared money situation. 
I'm really interested in suggestions for shared bank accounts, how to deal with two incomes, and managing our spending and bills. We definitely don't have it figured out yet. What What would you say for people who are new in the adventure of of creating a financial partnership? Well, I would say when 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 uh, me and Mrs. Funny Money got married in the '80s, uh, around the time all of our friends were getting married, um, everybody kept their uh, kept their money separate. And I remember we were at a party. We were scandalized when one couple talked about how they did everything jointly. And and that's just kind of the attitude when you're young and you don't know any better. Because at some point in you know in your married life, one of you is not going to work, um, either because you had kids or because you got laid off. Um, and then what are you going to do? You know. So yep. you really need to take the yours, mine, and ours. Uh, kind of attitude where the bulk of what comes in is is ours. Um, I think everybody needs to have their separate money, um, their separate uh, personal spending money, um, and and they need to spend it and not be accountable to the other person. Mm-hmm. If you want to save up four months worth of it and blow it on a pair of shoes or or whatever. That is not the other person's. This has got to be like the don't ask, don't tell of your family right. budget. Yeah. But the fact is that, that especially that once you're married, you're an economic unit, and you need right. to start doing the big stuff with one mind. Um, mm-hmm. And that's and that's should be uh, that basically everything, all the income should go into one central checking account. Um, where you where you both decide how it's going to get dispersed, and then you should each take a, a personal allotment uh, from that. And then, if it's important to you, um, you know, then you need to uh, then you need to talk about it. And at the same time, if somebody is um, overspending for whatever reason, it's it's easier to show up so that. In most couples, you're going to have a person who's maybe more of an over-functioner on the financial end uh, than the other person. Right. And, um, you know, and if you're doing this cooperatively from the beginning, then the other person can sort of, can sort of learn from you. Um, and it might, be, it might be a bit of a tussle. Uh, and um, but you know you just need to sort of try to to get over that, and it might be a gradual thing, but at least start with having all the income for because you're a household, have all the income for the household come into one account, and then go from there. Brian, do you in, in as you manage your household uh, conversations, do you and your wife have regular meetings about finances? Oh, oh Lord, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's an honest answer. So how do you do this? How, yeah, how do you how, decide? How do you do, yeah, how do you pull together? Um, I think I think it just, well, we've been married 25 years, so it's sort of just everything has sort of evolved, and, and there aren't a lot of, of decisions to be made uh, about that kind of stuff. You know, it's the things that are important. So, for instance, um, you know, we like to take uh, a couple of, you know, pretty good-sized uh, vacations, and so those are the points where you you start to discuss around those things. 
Um, and then you get back to the same thing um, that we talked about on other things. Okay, if this is what's important to you, then what's not important? Yeah, and where can you do you know? cuts? Yeah. So, so let me let me if I can come back to the email. So you've been married 25 years and you've worked out a lot of these patterns. If someone's newlywed or they've been married one or two years, and let's say that that both of these newlyweds come out of families where they didn't talk about money, which would be the norm. This is all brand new to them, and they want to create some new patterns. What kind of suggestions would you have for for people who are new in working together, working with a financial partner? I would think one thing is to, you know, generally you want to have had that discussion before because what if somebody's coming into the marriage with, you know, $40,000 in student loans and the other person, you know, doesn't have that kind of burden? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then that's something you sort of want to disclose uh, going in. Absolutely. Is, uh, you know, hey, I can only contribute this much to our uh, to our shared living expenses because, you know, I owe I owe all this money on my on my education, so that's something that you want to go. I mean, I think the thing to start with is focusing on um, is focusing on your your shared expenses as a unit. You know, okay. so is that your is that that's your you know your housing, your utilities, um, your food spending, um, because you're doing those things together. So start planning those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good suggestion. To, because you both agree that the rent needs to get paid. Right. <laughs> I need right? to eat. Right. Yeah. That, the, yeah. they let, that the lights need to stay on and the water needs to stay on. So, you know, so focus on, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, those are then, not going to be theoretical conversations. There's a practicality. Uh, and so you can get to a solution and feel good about, okay, we, we, we're getting this sorted out. We're making progress. Right. I mean, you've kind of got those. I mean, I think at any couple you've got to agree that we've got to cover our our fixed monthly expenses of, you know, our, our sort of overhead of, you know, lights, water, rent, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so forth. And then, uh, and then of course, any other, you know, any debt obligations, um, and then, uh, you know, branch out from that for whatever the goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I would think for any, for any couple that should be, uh, that should be some kind of rainy day fund, right? Um, right. Uh, off the bat, and and like I said, don't feel like you've got to solve it. I, I don't think one of the things you don't want to do is like grab a huge stack of unpaid bills and a calculator and a pen and a pencil and you know sit your partner down and go, okay, we've got to figure this out now, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. um, right. that's that's going to be. Uh, uh, you know, that's going to turn into kind of a high stakes argument. Right. That's going to get um, overwhelming. So the yeah. idea of breaking it into smaller pieces, and I know something that I've seen as successful is that people meet for shorter periods of time. If you sit down and talk for 20 minutes once a week about money, about paying the bills, about getting up to date when you're when you're new to this whole financial partnership thing, that can lead to positive discussions that get results. And so then it doesn't seem painful to come back and do it again the following week. Right, right. I mean, I think for for years it was, well, I'll pay this bill and you pay this bill. And it kind of, you know, it it, kind of worked. But then at a certain point, you know, you just get to a point where this is just unnecessarily complicated about who gets gets what piece of mail or what email account, which bill is getting uh, sent to. And, Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, and and, and then you get all the other you know uh, problems of okay, it's tax time. Well, you're keeping track of this bill, but we can't find it, and yeah, we need right. it for the tax person and stuff like yeah. that. So, I mean, I think uh, if people haven't talked about it before, they just need to sort of start gradually uh, uh, shifting over to um, being that sort of functioning right. economic unit, and you know, it might be it might make for some some uh, you know some difficult conversations, but you know, try to have them. Uh, one at a time, right. rather than you know setting in a, uh, a day long agenda of, uh, of of blame and accusation. Yeah. <laughs> and one yeah. of the things that one of the things that I've seen and uh, I've experienced, I've talked with my my clients about, is that as they work through these tangible financial conversations, they're actually developing skills for intimacy. And usually intimacy and finances don't get put into the same sentence, but it really is. It's when you have a specific goal that you're working through the utility bill or how you're going to work with this transportation issue or something. By the time you get to the end of that and then have a few months of success with it, those you're knitted together. Um, more effectively, and then that can that can roll out into other parts to the non financial parts of a relationship. No, well, I, I think your book needs to be budgets are sexy. On the way, you know, the other thing that really strikes me, uh, Brian, is that the what we're talking about sets up for a proactive conversation, not a reactive conversation. So you have a couple and they sit down and they work out a little bit at a time how they have conversations around money and what their goals are. And it sets a really strong foundation for things that happen in the future, not things that happened in the past. Well, and I think that's where the advice about a goal comes in. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes it's easier to, to function that around. Okay. We want to, we want to buy a house. Right. Um, you know, well, that's most newlyweds. Um, okay, you know, what can we, how do we, how do we get there? And then the other stuff is just sort of, um, you know, it's just sort of expenses that you need to uh, accommodate while you are saving for your goal. It's like the, they fall into place. If, when, if, if your goal is to buy a house or maybe it's to get a car or maybe it's to pay off the student loan, but whatever the larger goal is, that serves as the organizing principle for right. the other expenses that, that, that you're dealing with. There's something that it's like, okay, here's what we really want to do, and so then it makes the conversation about all the rest of the categories much easier. Right. I mean, it can be – I say it's kind of like the – the hanger on top of a mobile, you know, if you pick it up by the wrong piece, you just got a tangled mess. But if you pick yep. a mobile up by the hanger, then everything falls in place and it's in its right order. That's a great analogy. You know, That's perfect. So, although I, don't okay, know, Brian? I, think these, I think these days, probably, you know, any married couple, uh, you know, I, I think the advice would be try to live on one person's salary at this yeah. point. Because um, you're probably going to have to do it at some point. Yeah, <laughs> spoken as a man, spoken by a man who lives in Detroit. I think that you've been through the worst of it, so that would make sense that you'd have that sense for it. Well, we need to take a break. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute with our guest Brian O'Connor. If you'd like to join our conversation, please call us eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero or email us 
moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host Ann Hutchins, and you have Money in Your Life. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to money in your life with brian farr and ann hutchins to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr with my co-host, Ann Hutchins, and our guest, Brian O'Connor. Today, we're talking about Brian's book, The Thousand Dollar Challenge. Um, he and his family cut $1,000 out of their family budget, and they did it one month at a time, $100 a month. So one thing we haven't come around to, Brian, was the kids. Obviously, I know that you have one child, but many of our audience also have kids. And I'm wanting to read just a sentence out of your book to open up this section here about kids. You say, tailor your financial discussion to the age, maturity, and temperament of your child and focus on giving them choices and helping them feel that they have some control in the situation. Can you give us the details around that? What's your experience around talking with kids? Well, uh, uh, you know, that's that's more in the in terms of, you know, when you're, you're dealing with some kind of um, financial challenge. Uh, okay. Like I say, if you're talking about, you know, suddenly, um, you know, uh, mom lost her job. Dad got his hours cut back. Um, you know, expenses went up uh, because mm-hmm. three of the kids need, you know, braces or something like that. And then you've got to start some making some some choices and maybe difficult choices around the house. You know, um, I think in a lot of earlier eras, the attitude was that you want to protect your kids 
from yep. uh, from money discussions, especially if they're they're uncomfortable, difficult ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think kids kind of know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially, you know, in a town like Detroit, you know, I can remember uh, I was fortunate enough to attend a, a private school for a while because my dad's uh, business was doing really, really well for about a decade before it <laughs> crashed and burned. Um, and I remember during the auto meltdown of the of the 70s, um, you know, going to school and, you know, and some of your friends were just, you know, basically sick because, uh, you know, they were going to get pulled out of school. Right. Right. Um, cause you know, dad was no longer a vice president at Chrysler. Right. Um, so, um, so kids know. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing is like, well, can that happen to us? Um, so yeah, I think you need to be approachable on that kind of stuff. But if you are in a situation where you're saying, okay, you know, we need, we need to spend less as a family, then you need to figure out how can I do this in a way where, you know, I mean, I hate to use a cliched term like empowered, but where the kids can feel empowered mm-hmm. um, and where you can set an example of, you know, at some points in your life, you're going to have less money and some points in your life, you're going to have your money and it's not a disaster. You can be smart about it. It's, you know, it's kind of just, you know, crunch the numbers and the numbers say, you know, we can't have a vacation. We can't have a new car. You can't go to summer camp. You know, we had a we had a guest on that talked about a client of hers whose family did exactly this. They sat down with her when the father's, I think he lost his job, and they said, we're not going to be able to do some of the same things, and everybody's going to have to contribute. And as a result, she, came, she became very good at shopping in thrift stores, and not and people didn't know. They couldn't look at her and go, oh, you're shopping in a thrift right. store. And then but the more than that, the you don't exactly. even want to start the discussion by saying we can't afford exactly that. what you want to yeah. start is saying we have to make some some choices right yeah. and so maybe the kids are are like look i've been going to you know camp muskrat for 10 years and those are all my friends and i don't care if we don't have christmas uh ah. we go to camp yeah. muskrat so maybe christmas is basically you you know you you know, string One popcorn gift. around the tree, and you go out. You go out and you cut your own tree, and come home and string popcorn around it, and go caroling in the neighborhood, and you substitute activities for money, um, and you give each other, you know, a nicely wrapped orange on Christmas morning or whatever, because mm-hmm. camp is more important, and and mm-hmm. so the, the the kids all go to Camp Muskrat because, and they know, yeah. when they get mm-hmm. there, they know, mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And they made because the choice. Because I want this other thing. And then when they yeah. go to the camp in July, they go, I'm here because I skipped this other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so in order for this to work then, the, the parents need to get clear on what the possible choices are. They need to get some clarity around the finances, the different right. categories, and then sit down and open the books to a certain extent. Right. Whatever those categories are that imp- impact the kids – um, and maybe with the age, you know, with a six or seven year old, it's going to be different than a 14 year right. old. I mean, it might be different. You know, you might have to have a discussion with, you know, a 16 year old where you say, OK, here's how much is in the college fund. Mm-hmm. The rest is up to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, if you if you don't want to graduate with debt, that means, 
you know, start taking community college courses in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, take the ACT so that you get college mm-hmm. credits, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, maybe you live at home and do your first year yep. at community college, or maybe you go away, but you take community college courses over the summer while you're home. You know, Brian, what I'm hearing you... Off, you start to make choices yep. so that the kid can say, and hopefully the kid doesn't say, oh, I don't mind getting a BA in English and having $60,000 in debt. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if he does, then you say, "Okay, that's your choice, and here's here's your next path." Here's what's going to happen. Or the kid, you know, more hopefully, say the kid goes, "You know, they they always they have a great lacrosse team at State U, and I'm going to get a lacrosse scholarship as soon as I figure out how to spell lacrosse." Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so and, the piece you know, that I'm hearing here is that you're saying. Teach your children about the choices. Right. It, it's, look, even if you're down to your last 20 bucks, you've got a choice. Right. I can buy two six-packs or I can buy a month of beans and rice. <laughs> I mean, so, so you're always, you, always going to have to make a choice, but at the same time, you always get to make a choice. It might not be a great right. choice. It might be a choice between terrible and lousy, uh, mm-hmm. but at least you can choose... Right. You know, do I want to get killed by a firing squad or do I want to be drowned in the river? You know, I mean, it might not be a great choice, but at least you still have a, a choice that you can make. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the point. Exactly the point. That choice and, is and important. So, you know, and the other thing is <laughs> that the other thing is you've got to be prepared that your kids are going to call you out because <laughs> if they're, you know, if they decide they're going to take their lunch to school, you better be packing your lunch to work, too. <laughs> <laughs> or yep. explaining why it's important for you to be eating out at lunch. Yeah. 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 Something you were talking about earlier was how using a cash system, using the envelope system where once every two weeks you pull the cash, you know, you take the cash out of the account, and this is how much you have for entertainment or for babysitter or for uh, food. Well, probably not the food, but whatever the categories are. And I'm thinking in this area with children, it would the conversations with children and choices around with children, that would also make it much more tangible to use the cash system for the, some of their categories. Yeah, I, I think with kids, depending on the age now, like I say, my, my son has sort of a, a speech uh, delay and some some other issues, so he's not always the the savviest kid on the political on the on the um, sort of economic uh, end of things. But I know that with savings, seeing the money pile up uh-huh. is an important is like oh, I can do this thing I want now because I've piled up my savings mm-hmm. the last few weeks. Um, that that's the kind of thing that starts to say hmm. So I think the savings thing is really, and with the experts I talk to, that's really the thing that you want to hit with the kids as, as young as possible. Um, there's a, I think it's Money Smart Kids, has okay. a, uh, a sectioned, if you look around on the Internet, you can find this. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have it at my fingertips. It's a four-section bank, and it has a spend, save, invest, donate, so it's a four-section yeah. piggy bank, mm-hmm. and it te- you know, and it teaches kids to, uh, uh, you know, so so my kid gets uh, a little money, funny money junior, or as I call him, little money, because that's all that's left when he's done with us, is um, <laughs> you know gets a dollar, a dollar a year, so he gets twelve dollars now, 
and $3 goes into each category each week. Um, and you save just because you save. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We save. And so mm-hmm. you're trying to, you know, and then the donate and the spend, spend, go crazy. And if he wants to save, then he has to tell me uh, what it is. Um, he, he you mean really additional save. savings? Well, well, uh, of his savings. And then the invest, he's just like, he has no idea what invest is. Right. Not yet, anyhow. There's another, and I just put that. I just put that in a money market account once a year. I just, you know, I pay him actually in in um, uh, Susan uh, Susan B. Anthony dollars or Sacagawea dollars, right? Dollar coins, um, because that splits up evenly. It makes it tangible. So basically, there's usually a point at some point. I just did it because of the new year, where I like drain the piggy bank and make a deposit. (laughs) <laughs> make a deposit for him so I can use the coins again. I can use the coins again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah do what you got to do, right? But, but, you know, but at the same time, when he says, so he'll say, oh, I can save the money. And you say, okay, look, this thing is 40 bucks. That's going to take you a while at three bucks a week. So you can make it six bucks a week if you don't spend any. Mm-hmm. And it's still going to take you a while. So I'll actually make him a calendar, um, a sort of a countdown calendar of, you know, okay, that's uh, eight weeks with tax, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, that he can cross off every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now that's, that's, to me, that's the habit that you really want to wanna build because, uh, because if you build the savings, then when kids start to spend, they understand that the spending comes at the expense of savings, and savings is the thing that allows them to do what they want to do. Right, right. Okay. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It takes patience. Uh, I imagine it takes a little uh, persistence. That's probably not the first thing your son wants to do when you sit down, but by drawing him into that conversation, he's going to be so much better off later on to have that kind yeah, of I mean, you foundation. Just have to start, you just have to start young and make it a habit so that it's just accepted yep. that exactly. every week a certain amount of the money goes into donate and invest and mm-hmm. save. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brian, we're getting near the end of the hour. Um, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so well, much, Well, I really Brian. appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, really you bet. Great. Once again, Brian's book is called The Thousand Dollar Challenge, How One Family Slashed Its Budget Without Moving Under a Bridge or Living on Government Cheese. It's one of the most enjoyable reads that I've had in months, so I would encourage you to check it out, The $1,000 Challenge. So thanks again, Brian. If people want to follow, they can come to funnymoneyblog.com. Perfect. Um, uh, And there's also a link to buy the book there at a discount if they want to buy it. Okay, funnymoneyblog.com. Funnymoneyblog.com, or they can also follow along with the $1,000 challenge that we're doing over at dailyfinance.com. Okay, good. Thank you. And, Anne, do you want to tell us about who's coming next week? Next week we will be talking with Kiva Leatherman, who has who is the host of a wide, Wise Women webinar. Kiva's personal mission is to ensure that women are in charge of their own finances, and we'll talk with her about the tools she gives to her clients and guide them on that path. So join us. Until then, I'm Ann Hutchins. And I'm Brian Farr. And please, let's keep this conversation going because you have money in your life.
thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.